Each week of Advent, we will be visiting a home of one of the gospel writers. As we lit the candle of hope last week, we visited the home of Mark. His home was austere, straight to the point. Repent and believe the good news. This week, we light the candle of love and we visit the home of Matthew. Love is at the heart of the incarnation. God loved us so much that he sent his son to be Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas at Matthew's house is a huge gathering of family and friends. It is important to note, however, that many of Matthew's friends, as well as some of the family members, would have been considered to be outsiders by the standards of his day. He lists women in his theological lineage of the Messiah, and not just women, but women who have a questionable past. He goes on to include astrologers from a foreign land who would seem to be having no place at all in the coming of the Jewish Messiah. At Matthew's house, no one is an outsider. Everyone is welcome and invited to Matthew celebrate as he celebrates not just the, the beginning, but everyone who comes into the household of faith. Matthew demonstrates to us that while God's promise was given to Israel, it is also for so many, many more. God's love for the world isn't directed to the lovely and successful, but to all of mankind. Broken, outcast people are welcome at the manger, and they are offered newness of life. The good news of the gospel is the fulfillment of the promise that God's covenant love is for everyone. And so in Matthew's story, who is Jesus? He is God with us. The God who has been with us since Abraham, who spoke to Joseph the dreamer, who sent Moses to free those in bondage. The same God is here with us now. God has not forgotten any of us. He is here with us. Sing this with me.
appreciate the work that's gone into each week, our gingerbread houses. Someone posted a comment on Facebook when I said we're going to visit the homes of the writers, said, oh, you're going to time travel. So I don't want there to be any mistake. I do not believe that they lived in homes like this. Okay. How many knew that? All right. Hold up your hand. I was a little worried about some of you, so I wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. These are representative of the message that each of them would have brought. And uh, I said some thank yous last week to those that worked on the gingerbread houses, and I wasn't aware. We had two other artisans that helped us. Pam Etherington and Judy Rowe also helped with the baking of the gingerbread. Give them a big hand as well. Would you do that? Appreciate everyone who's helped pull this off. Someone said, did you make those? And I said, oh, uh, no, no, that would not be in my wheelhouse. Um, I'd have to have a kit from uh, a store. <laughs> so, last week in our parade of homes, we visited Mark's house. Simple, austere, free of any decorations or lavish expressions. He goes straight to the point. The time is now. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe. He has one line about the incarnation. Because he doesn't want you to see the incarnation as a destination, but the beginning of a journey that leads you to faith in Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be visiting the home of Matthew that you have here in front of us. You'll notice it's a much bigger house and that it says, welcome on the front. It's a party house, a place where everyone is invited and welcome to come. I have discovered why Pastor Kevin and Pastor Justin have been so willing to help with these gingerbread houses. It's costing us double for the candy decorations that I thought it would, just, just so you know. I got a text message that said, frosting is hot, come on up. <laughs> so this is the party house. It's the place of joining together and celebrating the birth of Christ. Because Matthew, if he was anything, was a bridge builder. You discover as you read his book that his first goal is to build a bridge that Old Testament Jews can move into New Testament discipleship. The word fulfilled is a primary term that Matthew uses. 60% of the words of his book are the words of Christ himself. And he includes 65 Old Testament references so that the Jews could see that this isn't a defection from their faith, but is rather the culmination or fulfillment of their faith. But he doesn't just stop there with including or building a bridge to the Jews. He also builds a bridge to the outsiders. Matthew would have understood the pain of rejection as a tax collector. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low in Matthew's world for different reasons than they might be today. They were seen as sellouts. You see, the way a Jewish tax collector functioned is there was a certain amount that they had to raise for Rome, and they were seen as providing money that the Roman Empire could continue their oppression of the Jews. Anything that they charged above what Rome required was theirs to keep as their pay. So there was a great temptation to be, um, to be oppressive in the way that taxes were assessed. But there was a day that Jesus came by and saw Matthew sitting as a tax collector. And I want you to imagine that moment with me for just a couple of minutes to see the heart of Matthew. The Bible says, and Matthew records it, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now let me pause here and just clarify that it was common for Jewish rabbis to gather around them a group of students that would be of the highest caliber and the brightest of the area. And they would have had to have had a great reputation. So, so Matthew knew exactly what was happening in that moment, that Jesus walked up to him, a tax collector. He knew that Jesus was a rabbi teaching the ways of God. And for this rabbi to say to Matthew, 
who was an outcast that the Jews hated, follow me, was a revolutionary moment for Matthew. The outcast that the Jews hated was being invited to be a student of this rabbi. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, not only does he call him, Jesus goes to Matthew's house and many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus and his disciples are there and Matthew's home is open and it seems to have been a common thing for people to come and fellowship and celebrate at Matthew's house. And it was a place that was welcome to other tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus and his disciples were there as Matthew invited others to come in. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not for the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I believe that moment imprinted Matthew for the rest of his life. It's not the healthy that need Jesus. It's the broken, it's the outcast. It doesn't matter if they're of Jewish lineage or they're from a far, far country. Every person who is sick needs a physician, and that physician is Jesus. And that's the message that Matthew brings. Come to my house. There'll be plenty to eat. There'll be decorations everywhere. We will celebrate this good news. Just come on in the house so I can share with you the good news of a physician that heals. And so my invitation to all of you this morning is grab some tinsel, and let's go in Matthew's house and hear the story. First of all, Matthew makes sure that the family is invited. In Matthew chapter one, verse one, Matthew begins a genealogy of the Messiah. His family history is celebrated. And when you read through this lineage, you can see when comparing with the Old Testament that this is not a lineage of data, it's a lineage of theology. And so there are some jumps he makes, but you have to understand it in this context. I am the son of Ivan Pilcher. He is the son of Floyd Pilcher. And he is the son of someone I don't know. So it would be appropriate in Jewish literature to not only say, I'm the son of Ivan Pilcher, you could jump from there and put me in the lineage as the son of Floyd Pilcher. How many understand that? Does that make sense to you? It'd be a common thing to do. And so Matthew does that theologically with a purpose to show you seven and seven generations, God's number of perfection, and says, here is the lineage. All of you know that these are Jews. All of you know that they're in the lineage of David. All of you know the story. But I want you to see where this Jesus, the Messiah, came from. Writing to the Jews, he makes the point in verse 22 that Jesus is one of us. He is God with us. You can't ignore Jesus as an outsider. He's an insider inviting outsiders to come inside. There's an old Southern Gospel song we used to sing chorus years ago that said, it's raining on the inside, come on in the house. It's talking about revival. It's raining on the inside. Come on in the house. And then the second phrase would say, is Jesus on the inside? Come on in the house. Come on, someone help me this morning. I said, it's Jesus on the inside. Come on in the house. And that's Matthew's story. Come on in. All of you broken, needy people. He was concerned about the family. And I do believe it's an important time at Christmas that we remember family relationships, that we build family structure, that we build our celebrations around our family. And for everyone in this house, your first place of burden, your first place of prayer, your first area of concern should be your immediate family and your extended family who are outside the house today. Let's get them inside the house. Come on, help me this morning. It's, it's Jesus on the inside. Come on in the house. Let's get them into the household of faith. Jesus is one of us. But the kingdom 
even though it's about family and family celebrations is sometimes messy. How many of you have a messy family? Hold up your neighbor's hand. How many of you have that weird uncle or that weird aunt or that cousin that you want him to go to heaven, you just don't want him to come in the house? <laughs> and Matthew is going to put this, I love Matthew, because Matthew's confrontational. This is going to be uncomfortable for a minute, but he's going to put this proud Jewish heritage right in their face. <laughs> I don't know, won't ask you if you've ever been embarrassed by your family, but I know that if you came from a broken place, the further you follow Jesus, the greater the gap between you and your family's lifestyles. Hello? But if you ignore them and forget that they're family, you failed and the reason you came into the kingdom is those broken people that need to hear Jesus and you came first perhaps, but as a missionary to bring them back into the house. I have family that's away from God and I pray for them every day that they'll come in the house. When I was in um, grade school, I was at camp and God burdened me for my grandfather on my mother's side. I just wanted Grandpa Lincoln to know Jesus. I love my grandpa and he didn't know Jesus. And I must have been nine or 10 and I wrote a letter. I wish I had a copy of that. I'd love to see what I said. But I just wrote to him out of my heart. I wrote to him and said, Grandpa, Jesus is real in my life. I'm at camp and I gave my life to Jesus. And I want you to go to heaven too. And I want you to invite Jesus into your life. I'm praying for you, Grandpa. He never responded, never said anything at all. As a nine or 10 year old boy, however old I was, nothing was ever said about that. But you fast forward some years later, I've graduated from college, Carol and I are married, we're pastoring and I get a phone call from my grandmother and my grandfather was dying of emphysema. And she said, Grandpa wants you to come see him. Come on in the house. So we drove up there. And I'm sitting there with them. And I'm waiting for a door to open. And there's no door that opens to share my faith with my grandpa. And I thought, what am I going to do? And so grandpa went to bed early every night. He was up at four every morning. And, um, and he went to bed, and my grandma is sitting there, and I, I thought, I don't know what to do. And said to grandma, can I go in and pray for grandpa? And she looked at me and said, why in the world do you think we invited you to come up here? I went in the room. I said, grandpa, I want to share with you about my faith in Jesus. And I told him about Jesus and how he could surrender his life to Christ. And then I didn't try to push it. I just said, is there anything, is there anything that I can pray for you about? And I wanted him to say, yes, I want to repent of my sins and invite Jesus into my life. And that's not what he said. He said, yes, I have not slept through the night in years. He had COPD, he had emphysema, he had all the things compiled. Would you just pray I'd be able to sleep through the night? Kind of a letdown, but I just prayed. Dear Lord Jesus, you heard my grandfather's request, and I pray that you let him sleep through the night. The next morning, I got up not at four, but later, and he said, I want you to know, I slept through the night for the first time in years. And I said, well, what happened? He said, when you prayed for me, I didn't feel a thing. Nothing happened. And I laid in the bed and I said, Jesus, if you are who my grandson says you are, then I believe you can touch me. And he said, that's the last thing I remember till the morning came. I'm saying to you, we need to get our families inside the house. Come on, someone help me right now. We need to get our families inside the house. 
And Matthew is saying to his generation, to the Jews, to his family, there's a message that matters. I want you inside the house, but you're so arrogant and you're so proud and so full of religion. I need to confront you with who we are. Who are we? He begins to give the lineage of Israel. And he mentions Tamar. Now, it was unusual to mention the women at all in the genealogy. But I don't know if you know who Tamar is. But Tamar had a promise that one of the sons of Israel would be her husband. And her first husband dies without a child. Second husband dies. Third husband takes her and won't have anything to do. And the father-in-law won't do anything about that. Isn't doing anything at all. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And Judah is not fulfilling his commitment. So here's what Tamar does. She pretends to be a prostitute. Covers her face and seduces her father-in-law. Her father-in-law gets her pregnant. Come on. That's the story. That's the genealogy of Jesus. And in that, he says, she holds the, 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 um, the staff. They have uh, intimate relationships. And then she confronts him with the staff. She seduced her father-in-law. That'll mess up your, I mean, would you bring that up at Christmas dinner? Well, he's not done because he goes on then and he talks about Rahab. Who was Rahab? Rahab was in Jericho. And Rahab, again, was a prostitute. Look at verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Do you remember Rahab? She was the prostitute that was not even part of the family of God. She was part of the ungodly nation who hid the spies and let them out another way. And she is, she is saved by her faith. We had two prostitutes in our family tree. Oh, it's getting quiet now. I'd rather talk about that baby in the manger. Goes on to talk about Ruth. Who was Ruth? Ruth was that woman that was a Moabite who should have no place in the family of God. But she chose to walk with Naomi. She was an outcast invited in. Uriah? Uriah's wife? Bathsheba, do you remember that story? How many said, I didn't come here for this, I came for Advent. This is Advent, people. David's on a rooftop at a time when kings go to war. And he looks over on the roof, other rooftop and he sees a woman out there taking a bath and he wants her, he lusts for her, brings her into his uh, palace and sleeps with her, finds out that she's pregnant and gets Uriah to go home and Uriah won't go in the house because he's a man of integrity and there's a battle going on and so then David says to um, the leader of his army says get him out in front have everybody step back and let him die and they murder him on the battlefield and that baby dies and David marries her <laughs> we've got some messed up people in our lineage hello we have, some of you look like you're in serious pain right now I'm just telling you, that's the story. That's who we are. Those are our people. And then Mary, that we'll come back to in a little bit. But Mary has all the appearance of unfaithfulness. In fact, Joseph is completely um, convinced that she's been unfaithful to the betrothal. 
and he's going to divorce her and put her away. What a picture of the kingdom. You say, oh, I want to talk about Abraham. Well, we could because he had some failures. No, let's talk about David. Could, but he had some failures. But let's get it right up in your face. What is there about the kingdom that's reflected here? The kingdom is made of sick people who met the physician, broken people who needed a savior, damaged lives that needed to be put back together again. And I'm going to tell you that our our mission statement that we exist to extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity came in a moment in a staff meeting off-site when we just began to think who came to Berean and we began to think about broken lives and broken lives and broken lives who've been healed by Jesus I'm telling you that's the Christmas story that broken lives come to a place of health and wholeness and strength and what is it that Matthew records about his name look at verse 21 after he tells this story puts that in front of them 14 generations 14 generations 14 generations the number 7 repeated over and over Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. Because what? Do you remember the lineage we just talked about? Because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, arrogant, I don't need Jesus. I'm religious. I've lived a good life. You're broken. Don't look down your pharisaical nose at someone else. Look in the mirror and you'll see your own brokenness. And Matthew is saying, come on in the house. We need everyone inside the house. And then he goes on to tell the story of a marriage rescued, that family matters to God. This isn't just about Jesus being born of a virgin, else God could have spoken them to them both together. Have you ever thought about that? When he spoke, when the angel spoke to Mary, couldn't an angel have spoke to Joseph at the same time? But he didn't, and God's never accidental. He's always on purpose. He allowed Joseph to think that Mary had betrayed him. Why? So that he could explain to him that he hadn't and demonstrate to us that whatever has happened in your family heritage, Jesus wants to save your family. Jesus wants to make it healthy again. And Joseph, while you think that it's over, it's just the beginning. Redemption is going to come to the world because God cares about the family. He cares about the family. And we are the family of God. He is one with us. God with us. He wants leaders. He wants warriors. He wants people of high character. But he also wants prostitutes and cheaters, deceivers, outcasts, and broken lives as part of his family. How can they all be one? Because he will save not the evil. Listen to what it said. He will save his people. He's put a claim on you while you were still in sin. He will save his people from their sins. The family's invited. Second, the world is invited. He moves on from the household of faith, the household of Israel, to open the door to the world. Wise men from the east came, astrologers came, and that's what the Magi were. They were astrologers, they looked for signs of the heavens. So you have to ask yourself, why astrologers? I'd pick a different group, not astrologers, because we know that when they looked at the sky and tried to read the sign, it was more than astronomy. They were getting signs from the heavens. And how would they know to come? Well, you see, there's a little bit of information in the Old Testament that will help us. There is a man named Daniel that was in captivity in Babylon. How many remember about Daniel and how God gave him revelation and God gave him favor? And there's a point where it says in Daniel that that Daniel was made chief of all the wise men. What do you think Daniel's gonna teach them? He's gonna teach them what the scripture says. And I am sure that he rehearsed for them another account of the Old Testament When Balaam was asked to curse the people of Israel, and as much as he tried, he couldn't do it. 
when he'd begin to prophesy against Israel, the Spirit of God would come on him and make him say things he didn't want to say. And what was one of the prophecies that Balaam gave against his will? He said this in Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Watch. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now you can believe what you want. But I believe that Daniel said to them as he began to train them, there is a Messiah that's going to come. He'll be the king of Israel and we don't want to miss that coming. I want you to watch for when a star rises out of Jacob and when that star appears, you're going to need to follow that star. Generations go by and I'm telling you, I don't believe there's any other way to explain the wise men getting there other than they were from the school of Daniel. They were watching for a sign that would let them know that the savior of the world had come, that the people who sat in darkness would see a great light and they're responding to all of that teaching and when they come, they come to worship the king. They come to um, uh, Matthew's story. Matthew's house is about outsiders that God invited to the party. Now, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings and ruin your Christmas. But there are two things about the story that we celebrate, one that's not true and one that we don't know. Are you okay with this? First thing is, they weren't at the manger. Sorry, they weren't at the manger. The Bible says they came into the house and that Jesus would have been about two years old. I don't think they lived in the manger for two years. They weren't there. Now, do I have a problem with wise men in your manger scene? No, because I see that as a picture of the characters, not as a teaching of truth. And here are all the characters. So if you want wise men and camels and you want all of that, that's great. Go ahead and do that. Just understand that they weren't there and the little drummer boy probably wasn't either. <laughs> and you know what else we don't know? We don't know how many that there were. We know they brought three gifts. But there could have been a dozen wise men. And they weren't kings. They might have been treated like that. I don't have trouble with the song because some suggest that the wise men were in a position of ruler and leadership. So what I want you, I want to break all that up and say to you, don't know how many, don't know anything about that. And I know they weren't at the manger, but I think it's more significant that when they came, they were invited into the house. They're invited in. They weren't drop your gifts at the door and go on your way, a parade that they dropped it off with UPS. No, they came in the house and they worshiped that child. And Matthew says, I want you to see that our broken family was impacted by this baby. And I want you to see that the nations of the world were impacted by this child as they came and knelt before him and worshiped him as king of kings and lord of lords. If no room had significance in the Christmas story, that Mary and Joseph had no room in the inn, I think it is equally significant that the wise men came in the house. Well, I'm enjoying this. And they brought gifts. You see, they understood that worship is a two-way expression. You say, why did they bring those gifts? And we, we, we get into all this about why, what that meant and all that. I'm just going to tell you, this family is going to Egypt. Anybody thought about how they're going to work? How they're going to pay the bills? Joseph isn't going to be able to start a new carpentry business. But God brought them through outsiders the provision they needed to take care of them on their journey into a foreign land. Isn't that cool? God sent a foreigner to give them what they needed so they could live in a foreign land. What are you seeing there? A reciprocal relationship that God provides and establishes to us that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all part of the family of God. And Matthew says, bring the outsiders inside the house. So the family's invited. The world is invited. And I know this probably isn't real pleasant, but I just need to let you know that Herod 
is uninvited. Sometimes people get uninvited from a party. It begins with Herod inviting himself to the party. You see, everybody can come to Matthew's house. Everybody can come to the manger. And Herod could have come, but he wanted to come on his own terms. He's inviting himself in on his own terms with evil motivation. I am going to seek him, and I'm going to lie about wanting to worship him. But my intent is to kill him. So let me just remind you about this kingdom thing and invitation. There are many people who want to serve God on their own terms. They want to write the rules. I'll follow Jesus, but it'll be this way. This might be wrong for you, but it's not going to be wrong for me. This might be what you have to do, but I'm not going to have to do that. I'm going to write my own rules. I'll serve him and follow him, but it's going to be on my terms. You know what that'll do for you? It'll get you uninvited because you don't extend the invitations. Imagine if someone invited you to a Christmas party and you took the invitation, oh, and you didn't get invited, but you found an invitation that looks similar and you wrote your name on it and you show up at the door saying, I got an invitation. And so they let you in and you say, yeah, we're not having turkey tonight. I want you to bring in some pizza. Call down the road, I want pizza. I don't want... And you begin to give orders, this is how it's gonna be. How many would agree they'd have every right to throw you to the curb? Number one, you didn't respond to the invitation and you're trying to write the rules. So hear me this morning. Self-will isn't just in Israel. Arrogance isn't just in Israel. It's often in religious people who want to serve Jesus, but by their own set of rules. <laughs> and you'll get kicked out of the house. I'm sorry. It's not by your rules. You're not in charge. You don't write the rules. You can't just invite yourself in. He says, go find the child. And when you found him, bring me words so I will worship him. The wise men thought that Herod was sincere. They had no reason not to believe him. But they were warned by God in a dream, don't return to Herod. What is God saying to them and to Herod? Herod, you don't have the right invitation. You don't have the right invitation. There's only one way to get in. You've got to kneel at the manger. If you're hoping your good works will outweigh your bad works, it's about kneeling at the manger. If you think you have a right to get in because someone else got in, it's about kneeling at the manger. It's about surrendering your life to him. It's not about what you want or what you think or what matters to you. Come on, is anyone hearing me this morning? You can't invite yourself in. You're not going to stand at heaven's gate and say, what reason do you have to keep me out? What right do you have to say, I can't come in? No, he sent his son. And the only way to the throne is through the cradle. You've got to come through Jesus. Is anyone hearing me this morning? God opens doors and God shuts doors. God is all about open doors, but he's also capable of shutting doors. Israel rejected him and chose to live separate from him and suffered the consequences. And Herod is so angry that... He orders that the male children in the Bethlehem vicinity would be killed from two years old and under. And people say, well, there's no historical record of that. Well, let, let me just help you with that for a minute in case you're wondering why we don't have a historical record. Bethlehem was a, was a very small community. And if you extended the borders, the math that's been done would say, likely there wouldn't have been more than 10 or 12 children in the area that were under the age of 12 and then you would take a percentage of those and be boys and with all of the slaughter and what was happening in rome and all the chaos that went on they didn't have cnn and facebook and fox and all the things out there to give us all the news a few children being killed that would have just passed by without anyone's attention except the parents someone else says well why 
Why did that happen? Well, do you remember, do you remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt's bondage? How many remember that? Three of us. Okay, let's open to Exodus. And God is going to set his people free. And he sends 10 plagues so that Pharaoh will let his people go. And the last of the plagues, the worst one, is the death of the firstborn. And God said to Israel, you need to take the blood of a lamb and branches of hyssop. And you need to put blood over the head of the door and on the side posts. Watch. And where I see the blood, the death angel will pass over you. He didn't pass over because they were Jewish. He passed over because they were covered by the blood of the Paschal Lamb. The nation of Israel had rejected the provision of the coming of the Messiah. How do you know that? Oh, wise men came from the east. All Jerusalem is troubled. And the scribes say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And that news is out. And who goes with the wise men? Nobody. Nobody cared enough to go see if this was true. So salvation was handed to them. And salvation was rejected by them. Because they didn't care enough to go see if the story was true. Eternity will be populated by people who didn't care enough to find out if the story is true. You see, when God had Noah build the ark, Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. The same God that opens doors shuts doors. And so my prayer, my heart cry in this Advent series is there wouldn't be anyone inside this house that there wouldn't be anyone joining us online that will not pause to think about the reason for the season. And it is about a celebration. Matthew says it is about a party. But it's only about that party if you come inside the house and you don't walk in without an invitation. And when that invitation comes and you kneel at the manger, you can join the party because it's about a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. How many are hearing me this morning? Pastor Nathan, would you join me on the platform, please? Here's my heart cry. I have family that I'm praying will come into the kingdom. But I've been given a charge for those that come in this house. And what a tragedy it would be for us to celebrate the coming of the Christ child and ignore the parts of the story that are uncomfortable. Just talk about the fun stuff and the presence and the good stuff. And Matthew is saying to us, there is a party, but the party is for those who come inside the house. Broken Jews, lost foreigners, damaged lives, it's all about coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So would you bow your heads just for a moment? The Bible tells us to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith and search your heart. Because this isn't about do you regularly attend Berean. This isn't about how long have you gone to church. This isn't about what religious practices do you engage in. It's have you really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? I felt like God dropped this on my heart for this season. Who knows what the future will hold? But I do know there's an invitation open in the present. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never made a commitment of faith or you have and you've walked away from it, you're not walking with him today. I'd like this to be a day that you begin your walk with Jesus. You don't have to come forward. I'm not gonna ask anything from you. I just want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. 
I want to invite Jesus into my life. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else? Quickly slip your hand up. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I don't want to miss anyone while the Spirit of God is moving in this room. Those of you that are watching online, just, just raise your hand. I can't see it, but God does. I want Jesus in my life. I'm going to ask everyone that will to pray this prayer with me out loud. And if you raise your hand or didn't, but pray the prayer and mean it, God will hear your cry. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to come in the house. Forgive me of my sins. I admit my failures. I believe that you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior, and I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Let's give an expression of praise to God this morning. If you prayed that prayer here in the room, in the North Chapel, or online, we want to connect with you. We don't want to just leave you out there praying a prayer. We want to connect with you and walk with you. And if you would let us know, you can fill out a blue card and put on there, I gave my life to Jesus and drop it in the box. Or you can text the word GROW to 77411. Text the word GROW to 77411. And we'll explain to you what we believe your next step should be as you walk in this journey. We want to walk with you and see you grow in your faith because it's not a destination, it's the beginning of a journey. And second, for the household of faith, I'm gonna ask you to join me in this prayer in just a moment. God, burden my heart for those outside the house that I will use this season to try to get them inside the house. Will you join me in that prayer? Stand with me and let's worship God together. I was a wretch, I remember who I was, I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time, sin separated, the breach was far too wide, but from the far side of the chasm, you had me so you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside there at the cross you paid the debt I owe broke my chains free time I had hope say thank you Jesus thank you Jesus it has washed me wide thank you Jesus you have saved
If you have friends or family that are outside the house, for you to bring them inside the house. Always celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your consistent, faithful giving. There are always needs here that need to be addressed, and your faithfulness helps us pay those bills and helps us reach out to people that are in need. I just got uh, word uh, this week that we have two furnaces that have to be replaced. Those aren't cheap. There are 27 HVAC units in this place. And most of them came over on the ark. And what I know is I don't have to take a special offering because you give consistently. Faithful givers help us reach the world and, and pro provide a place inside the house where, where people can be ministered to for Jesus. So thank you, whether you do it online or you give directly, thank you so much for your support. We love you, thankful for this wonderful time of year. And my prayer is that God will bring outsiders and broken insiders into the house of celebration. The time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe and join us for the party. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Be an encouragement to someone today. Be a blessing. And um, enjoy God's great goodness.